Hi there everyone and welcome to another instalment of Harney's Practically Speaking. I'm Rachel Graham, I'm a transactional partner based in Harney's London office and today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by one of our senior transactional lawyers who's also based in London, Tom Dugdale. Hi Tom. Hello Rach, great to be here. Just by way of an introduction, Tom has a broad ranging practice and he deals with BVI and Cayman companies and funds. But today he's kindly agreed to have a chat with me about continuations. Thanks for that, Tom. Thanks for joining. Great. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Let's get cracking then, Tom. I'm glad that you're ready to go. I guess the first question I have is there's probably a few people out there wondering what we mean by a, a continuation or, or migration. Are they the same thing? Yes, they are exactly the same thing. And the other way in which people describe these things is a re-domiciliation, which again is ex exactly the same thing. And essentially what they all mean is a company changing its jurisdiction of domicile from its original jurisdiction of incorporation to another jurisdiction. And probably worth pointing out straight away that not all jurisdictions allow this in their corporate law. For example, the UK doesn't allow it. So I guess the very first thing you, you need to think about is whether you're dealing with two jurisdictions that are actually allowed in the first place. Absolutely. And I suppose the next question is why people might want to migrate. I mean, it sounds to me a little bit like if I was being cynical, you know, it might be uh, someone got themselves into a little bit of a pickle in one jurisdiction and think uh, if they head off somewhere else, they can leave their woes behind. But I'm sure that's not the case. Yes, thankfully, not quite so easy to get rid of creditors as, uh, as that. Essentially, the, the legal effect of a continuation is that the legal entity continues as the same legal entity, both before and then following the, the continuation. So all assets, rights, obligations and liabilities of a of a company will continue on post the continuation. And so, for example, if, if there is a, any kind of judgment or claim or legal proceedings against the company or, or indeed security that's registered against the company, all of those things will continue and will not be released or discontinued post the, uh, the migration and they will all continue to be enforceable against the company. So I guess then if, if I'm somebody who's contracted with a company in one jurisdiction and, and I receive some sort of notification saying that uh, it's no longer going to be, for example, a, a, a company in Luxembourg, but it's, it's going to migrate to the BVI, I shouldn't necessarily be overly concerned that the arrangements that I have in place with that company are in any way going to fall away. Exactly. Yes, I think that the piece of advice would be don't panic. And uh, <laughs> um, I imagine it could sound uh, yeah, a, a little bit scary if you receive that uh, notification. But yes, all contractual relations, uh, arrangements, etc. will all stay in place post continuation. And I guess I suppose that the question is, that comes up then, is why might people want to migrate? I mm. mean, I can, I can imagine a situation where perhaps as the result of an acquisition, a group may have acquired a company that is incorporated in a totally different jurisdiction to perhaps all the other members of the group. And it might make sense to them to move that company into the same jurisdiction just for consistency and probably mm. it's slightly more cost effective as well. But I was just wondering if there were some other reasons that regularly come up in your practice as to why people might want to move. 
Yes, you've mentioned group reorganizations, which which happen quite regularly for the reasons you've you've described, and reasons for a, for a migration can be driven by several other different things. Counterparties, uh, in particular, banks and lenders, often drive where their client companies are based. And certainly, I've seen in recent years and a number of continuations I've done, the banks have started insisting on their client companies being incorporated in in particular jurisdictions, and so that leads to redomiciliations. Other reasons include clients wanting to find the sort of the most flexible jurisdictions in terms of corporate regime and, and, and general legal frameworks. And I guess I guess the BVI is a classic one for that, having a super flexible company's law framework, but also retaining all the benefits of a common law jurisdiction with you know the highest court in the land being back at the Privy Council yeah. in, in the UK, which is mm. probably appealing to a, a number of people. Exactly. I mean, that sums it up nicely. I mean, I've, I've had a company recently, which was a listed company listed on, on AIM, and it has continued into the BVI, citing better legal and regulatory environments in the BVI than its previous jurisdiction of incorporation. I guess that kind of leads into the, the sort of practicalities as to what people should be thinking about in terms of what they need to do prior to and as part of the continuation process. I mean, you, you've clearly set out that the initial consideration is, you know, can the company move to the jurisdiction that the parties want it to move to? What other kind of things do people tend to need to think about? The first thing that we would advise is to get all the parties, all the advisors together from each side and have a call, a conference call meeting to flesh out exactly what all the different issues are on, on either side. And these may include, for example, timing, which is a key one. From the BVI perspective, that there are no prescriptive time frames that uh, you have to be concerned about but in other jurisdictions or that there may well be and in particular if if an entity is listed clearly there are, there are suddenly a whole host of listing uh, regulations and, and other regulatory issues that uh, will need to be considered and, and reporting obligations etc and announcements i would have thought as well it probably is something that people need to take into account Exactly. And the migration I've done recently, there were actually we ended up having regular conference calls with, with onshore council to coordinate in particular what, you know, when announcements were going to be made and when actions, uh, specific actions within the process needed to happen. The other things that sort of spring to mind to me are whether or not you need to make changes to the constitutional documents of the, the company in order to take on board particular mm requirements of the new jurisdiction one thing that does sometimes come up is whether or not the shares of the company uh, in question need to have a par value or not you don't need a par value in the bvi but for example in some of the other jurisdictions you do so i guess there's you know just planning ahead having conversations and and making sure you know what you need to do to to make sure it all goes smoothly Exactly. And another consideration is uh, at the beginning of the process, certainly going into the BVI, is economic substance, which is a new hot topic, as, as we in the BVI all, all know. So BVI Council will need to be given a full understanding of the business and, and the different activities that, it's, uh, that it carries out to work out uh, whether any substance solutions need to be put in place.
Oh, old friend economic substance. I think we end up talking about that in nearly every one of these practical, practically speaking podcasts. Thanks, Tom. That's all really interesting. I think we seem to have covered a number of the initial considerations and practical considerations in relation to timing. One other area that I wondered whether or not we, we needed to discuss is in relation to a company which has perhaps granted security in relation to borrowings and there are maybe restrictions in those security documents against continuations and whether that need for consent could affect timing. Security arrangements are a key concern and issue for continuations out of the BVI with our BVI lawyer hats on. And so it's a question to ask and something to consider right at the outset. If a BVI company does have security over any of its assets, there is essentially two main ways of dealing with that. One is if you can get it released, then get it released. And the second is simply getting the consent of the security holder. And as you say, you mentioned in many security documents, there are restrictions on, on actions such as this. So you most often would require the consent of the security holder. If that's not possible, there is a third way of dealing with security, and that's by directors writing a, a declaration to the registry that the chargee's interest is, is in no way diminished or compromised. It's a question of really giving comfort to the registrar that the purpose of the migration isn't to try and adversely affect the position of the security holder. Yes, exactly. And then I guess, you know, we should probably finish up with uh, our old friend KYC, because certainly yeah. in, in my experience, and I, I'm pretty sure there's something that you've come across before, that the need for, for mm -hmm. KYC is something that clients often overlook and it often takes the longest time. Exactly. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me just how long this process can take. You know, it shouldn't be something that takes up a huge amount of time, but I have, as you just said, I found on, on several occasions that uh, it's part of the process that takes the longest. And it's also important for both continuations in and continuations out. And it might be slightly counterintuitive to think if you're continuing out of the BVI that you need to provide KYC. However, registered agents are obliged to have up-to-date KYC documents at all times and also specifically in relation to companies that are continuing out. So I guess, Tom, another factor that will affect timing is whether or not in one of the jurisdictions, i.e. the continuation out jurisdiction or the continuation in jurisdiction, there is a, a need for shareholder approval. Because if there are a large number of shareholders, then obviously you're going to have to factor in perhaps having to call a shareholder meeting mm. or circulating resolutions to be signed by a large number of people. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, this comes back to sort of the initial considerations and it's another consideration that needs to be considered. I mean, often in, in the reorgs that we do, the very closely held companies, so shareholdings, so it's not an issue, but, uh, but occasionally certainly with the listed, listed companies, if they need shareholder approval to migrate, then um, that clearly causes sort of much bigger timing issues. Yeah, and I guess also with the larger companies and the listed companies, there may well be advertising or announcement related obligations. So <clears throat> being able to do those needs to be factored into account. I think the last point that I thought might be useful just to flag to people is 
to have a think about in practical terms how the registration or filing of documents for a company that's leaving a jurisdiction ties in with the related filing and registration of the company in in a new jurisdiction because Mm. so far as possible there may be some issues surrounding that is is that something that you've come across yes exactly And, and again this ties in with the initial considerations in that very first conference call you need to have with counsel on the other side to work out when it comes to the crux and actually filing the the applications in each jurisdiction how exactly that will work and to avoid a situation where for example that you have your company incorporated either in both jurisdictions or incorporated neither and the legislation has generally been drafted in each jurisdiction to avoid that situation one thing to take into account perhaps is time zones really because that mm. might affect your ability to file in one jurisdiction you might not be able to file in both jurisdictions on the same day yeah exactly that's uh, ab- absolutely a consideration and one way of dealing with that and, and the issues of filing timing of filing generally is some registries will issue provisional certificates of continuation or discontinuation and then they can be shown in the, in the other jurisdiction which then allows the filings to take place and the effective date to be coordinated in a way that works for, for both sides. Brilliant. Well, Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. Hopefully our listeners have gleaned some further information about migrations, continuations and that other thing which I can't pronounce. Redomiciliation. That'll be the one. I'm not even going to attempt it. But um, I think you've agreed to join me for another one of these chats at some point in the future. So I'm I'm sure we'll come back to you. (laughs) We haven't agreed what the topic will be, but I'm sure it'll be something very interesting. But for now, thanks very much. And uh, we'll, we'll see you all soon. Thank you very much, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to being on again.